Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Hello everyone and welcome to the first ever episode of The Bastards Investigate. This is an MLB-wide episode, so there won't be a ton of Red Sox talk on these episodes. We're going to be covering kind of hot-button issues across the league. It's going to be just once a week. It's going to be typically recorded on Friday nights and then released on Saturday mornings, so you can basically count on that being the schedule. As far as the regular show goes, there's no changes. We're going to keep the regular schedule, the early week show with Jason and Charlie, and the midweek show still with Andrew and Job. Co-hosting with me on this format is Doug James. You can find Doug also on the YouTube channel with the Bastards of Boston. He and Charlie tag team the Red Sox top five deep dives. You can find all kinds of content from us on YouTube as well. Doug, how are you? I'm doing good, Terry. How are you? Doing good. So did a kind of a fun bonus segment last week called Totally Legit or Call the Cops. So that was kind of a nice little test flight, so we'll come into a more permanent uh, format here. So the two topics we will be getting into, it's actually three topics, actually. We're going to talk about the awkward, as Ken Rosenthal put it, departure uh, of Albert Pujols from the Anaheim Angels. They designated him for assignment, then we'll get into the Mets organization with the firings of their hitting coach and assistant hitting coach, Chili Davis and Tom Slater. And then apparently Francisco Lindor, Jeff McNeil had a little bit of a brouhaha. So we'll get into that as well. Ready to do this? Yeah, I'm ready. Are you? I'm always ready. I, I love baseball. <laughs> always ready to talk baseball. So... I guess it's been, what, 48 hours, 72 hours, something like that. Albert Pujols designated for assignment. Kind of came out of nowhere. What was your, like, initial reaction? My initial reaction was I was surprised. I was surprised that it was um, a release and not a retirement. So that makes me think, is Albert still want to play? Which would probably mean he does want to play still. Which, you know, I'm surprised by that. Um, I know he wasn't having the greatest of years, <laughs> you know, five home runs, 12 RBIs on base was 250 slugging was 372 OPS 622, you know, league wide average right now is about 233. So I mean, he's below that, but he's not that far below the league average in terms of batting average. Um, so we'll see if he's, you know, goes to another team. I feel like he will, but I'm just not really sure where. So that'll be an interesting, uh, you know, to see what happens over the next few weeks if he does catch on with someone else. But, yeah, I was surprised. Um, yeah, I was a little surprised. I really thought he was going to retire personally, but yeah, I guess we'll see what happens now. Yeah, I mean, you look at other 
Hall of Fame caliber baseball players over the past decade that have retired, Derek Jeter got a year-long tour. And it kind of became a fun thing. Like, what's this team's parting gift going to be? Because some of them were kind of cool. He got, like, the home plate from one stadium. Fenway gave him, I think, the number two from the left field scoreboard on the Green Monster and a bunch of other things. And that was a, like a year-long retirement tour. David Ortiz, similar situation, yep. got his his big send-off. And with Pujols, it's just kind of a, oh, by the way, you know, Albert Pujols has been designated for assignment. So it's just kind of interesting. And the Angels coming into that day had lost 10 out of their last 14 after having a nice start. But, I mean, that's like the most Angels thing ever to to start off good. Yeah, yeah, go right into the toilet. And I I guess if you're going to be slumping and you got like a really intense, hardcore guy like Joe Madden managing the team and you got this aging first baseman that had the least defensive run saved, I think, in the last year or two. Yeah, it's just it doesn't help to, to have him there and. You've got that Jared Walsh kid that we were talking about hitting 318 with a 393 on base percentage, has hit six dingers. Now that frees him up. I mean, obviously, they're better off with him in the lineup over a guy like Albert. So, 100%. It's just kind of weird. And I got thinking to myself, this was the last year of Pujols' contract. I mean, what was he thinking? Because you're right, he did want to play, and that's ultimately why he was released. He didn't want a bench role, and there was really no use for that. I mean, he's not going to pinch run late in the game, is he? No, he's not going to have any defensive replacements at first base either. Yep, absolutely. So so there's just no – there was no value for him to be on the bench, but what was he thinking coming into his last year of his deal? Was he going to get a one or two year deal beyond this? Yeah, I don't know what he was thinking. That that was never going to happen, especially because how, how Walsh was playing. And, you know, I think a lot of people around the league thought Walsh was going to be a really good player. So that shouldn't be a surprise to Albert. Plus, with Otani DHing, you there's no way you can get Albert in the lineup. And even if you got him in the lineup, we saw it. He doesn't produce. So the Angels really had to do what they had to do. And it was just surprising to me how it came off because I really thought they would talk to Albert and say, you know, Albert, let's retire. Let's, you know, have a little ceremony for you and just call it a career. And I'm actually more surprised that Albert didn't want to do that. I'm surprised he still wants to play. Must be just for the milestones at this point, because he's not going to win anything. If he's going to go to a team that's going to, I don't know, maybe try to sell tickets, even though COVID and I don't know, you know, with full capacity, not being there yet. I don't know what purpose that serves for selling tickets at this point, but yeah, I don't know what Elber is thinking, to be honest with you. Yeah, like they should have. I don't know why the front office just didn't tell him coming into the final year, like, hey, Albert, I mean, this is going to be it. This year is it. And I just don't – I don't know why Albert didn't reach out to them and be like, hey, what are your plans for me? Like there should have been communication there. And they could have had the send off. 
Alex Rodriguez was given like five or six days by the Yankees when they made the decision, okay, we're going to part ways with you, and but you know you can play out this week and have your send-off. That didn't happen here. And the more I did think about it too, I mean, let's face it, the Angels, are they the biggest dumpster fire organization in, in MLB? They, they might be. I don't know if there's a worse owner right now than Moreno. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't think there is one, to be completely honest with you. No, absolutely not. D- have you ever heard how the negotiations for Pujols went? <laughs> uh, a little bit, but I never really, you know, took a deep dive into it. It was just a but simple I heard a little bit. It was a conversation in winter meetings. Moreno p- approached his agent. And said, I I don't have his agent in front of me. I know it wasn't Scott Boris, but um right. but he approached Pujol's agent and said, Would would Albert accept a one hundred and sixty million dollar contract? I don't know what the years were on it. Um and Pujol's agent said that's a generous offer, but I'm gonna have to speak with Albert. You know, I can't make that call. So Moreno fires back immediately. Same conversation. Fires back immediately and says, "Well, what about two hundred million? Do you think Albert would be happy with that?" And Pujols agent goes, "Well, I still kind of, you know, have to have to talk to my client." And then I kid you not, this is according to Tom Verducci. Moreno fires one last bullet and he says, "All right, well, what about two hundred and forty million?" over 10 years. And apparently the deal happened. That was, they added on the, the 10 year um, personal services agreement to the end of it. So what that is, is even though he, he did get DFA starting next year when the, when the, the player contract would have ended, the personal services contract still is set to begin and he'll get $1 million a year for 10 years. Um, and he'll be like a consultant if if all that still pans out, if plans don't change. So it's just – it's a little weird. But going back to the Moreno thing, that's how bad he is. It was it was a five-minute conversation, and he increased the the contract by $40 million, uh each time. And, and for a 32-year-old player, obviously – it's probably one of the worst contracts of all time. And it was an ownership deal that wasn't GM driven. It was, it was Artie Moreno wanting Albert Pujols and, and the deal went down just like that. And you can probably say that that was basically the start of the downfall. Couldn't you? Yeah, you could. Uh, Since he got to the angels in 2012, he hasn't 300 with them yet which obviously he's not going to do because he's not there anymore. He never had more than 37 doubles, which in St. Louis, he was obviously a doubles and home runs machine. He had 40 home runs from 03 to 06 with the Angels, or the, with the Cardinals. And he only hit 40 homers one time in Los Angeles. So even since he got there, it, it's just been steady decline. And, you know, 32 years old, I believe, when he signed that deal, like you said, he was, he was 30, 32 those are just contract killers. Ten years for that? It, it was absurd at the time. It's even worse now. And like you said, leave it to the Angels. Yeah, and th- the Angels made the playoffs in 2014, were swept by the Kansas City Royals. 
They last made the playoffs before that in 2009, if I'm not mistaken. And they actually beat the Red Sox in the ALDS that year. But but even from an organizational standpoint, their downfall started when they signed Pujols. And then, of course, the Josh Hamilton contract, which ended up being a mess. Um, I actually forgot about the Hamilton deal. That was terrible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then they just gave him away to the Rangers, and even they couldn't get his career going. And then the the C.J. Wilson deal, I think, was seven years. That blew up. Just a series of bad move after bad move. And when you talk about how they're a dumpster fire, they didn't win a single playoff game with Albert Pujols and Mike Trout in their lineup. They have still not won one single playoff game. Never mind a series, one single playoff game in the month of October and have just underperformed miserably. And this is the third GM that they're on since the signing of Pujols. They had Jerry Depoto. Uh, Billy Epler, and then Perry Manasian, I think he pronounces it. So, yeah. So none of the GMs were attached to Pujols. They all essentially inherited him. So that that could be why maybe there wasn't much communication, and it was just absolutely. It's just unfortunate because he's gonna be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Absolutely. He, he's one of the, well, I mean, he's one of the best right-handed hitters we've ever seen in our lifetime. And he's one of the best right-handed hitters in the history of this game. And it's, it's almost sad what's happened to him because you just remember those days in St. Louis where he was probably the best player in baseball, just raked. And you get to Los Angeles and you, you, it's almost, you never heard of him after that. 2000, after 2000, you haven't really heard much of pools. If anything, you know, you're not, you're not tuning in to watch the angels. You know, so absolutely. And even now, it's like crazy that with Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, and Rendon, they're not going to make the playoffs. Like those three players on one, they're not going to make the playoffs. It's to me that's insane. Like it's ridiculous, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, they need a front office that operates like a front office, and Artie Moreno just <laughs> needs to sit off to the side and let actual baseball executives run that organization, and not only at the big league level, but in the farm as well. They yeah. they need to start from the ground up, and Moreno is, like, I think approaching 80 years old. So how long does a rebuild he's take? He's up there. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. He's up there, and he's not going to be – I don't think he's going to be around for that rebuild which they need to do. So Yeah, I mean, you figure it's, it's going to take four, five, oh. six years to do. If you look at the Marlins, exactly. the, the Orioles, and by then Moreno's, what, 83, something like that? I mean, yeah. with the Tigers, they had Mike Illich, and Dave Dombrowski was yeah. the GM, and they tried so hard to, to get him a ring, and he, he passed away probably three or four years ago, right around the age of 90, but... um but yeah, so time's definitely running out for Moreno, and he's like the Jerry Jones of of MLB. Just needs to, just needs to stay yep. out of it. And the big winners <clears throat> in that whole situation were the the St. Louis Cardinals because they offered him ten years, 
210 million. So it ended up being roughly in, in the end, if you count the personal services uh, deal, uh, $42 million short. And, but they didn't yeah. have to watch the painful decline of, of pools. Right. And, I just wonder with his legacy, I mean, why would he want to serve out the, that, those 10 years in, in Anaheim? I mean, he, they literally accomplished nothing with him. His, his yeah, legacy, I just slapped my microphone. His legacy is in St. <laughs> Louis, like, and he's loved there. Yes. When he went there for the first time, I think that was in 2019, got a standing ovation in every at-bat. I think he homered in that game. He had that emotional moment where him and Yadier Molina embraced at home plate. I think that was during his first at-bat. Yeah. And so why would you just want to waste another 10 years of your life with an organization that you never did anything for? They never really did anything with you. You don't have any ties to anyone. I mean, the front office has flipped already three times just in his, in the players part of his deal. I just, it it was a terrible. The crazy part to me, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go. The crazy part to me though, is when you just said the Cardinals offered 210. For the same amount of years, you're you're so I know thirty million is thirty million, but I don't know the tax situation in the state of Missouri. But in California, you're you're getting you know that's a lot of tax too. It's so how much money was he really losing? That's an excellent and you point. Wanna, and you want to risk all that, which he did risk, and it he you know and you fall off in Los Angeles. So you could have been a, a folk hero still in St. Louis, which he he still is to this day, but. You imagine that legacy, you know, we'd be talking about him a little bit differently if he didn't sign with the Angels, I think. I mean, and it's sad because of how great he really is. And if I was him, I would have stayed in St. Louis. And I thought even at the time when he signed that deal with Los Angeles, I said, why would you leave? You know, this is one of the top three to five fan bases in the entire sport where you're idolized there. They're going to go to Los Angeles. You're going to get lost in the shuffle with all the other stars in that, you know, in that city with other sports, you know, other sports teams. I never understood the signing from the Angels' perspective. I didn't understand the signing from Pujols, and and you know, ten years, nine, ten years later, it it didn't work out. At least in my opinion, I didn't think it worked out for either either side. So it absolutely didn't. And you look across the league right now. This guy in Detroit, similar contract, Miguel Cabrera. Yes. He's got to be next. You, you got to figure the wheels. In the, in the Detroit front office have to be spinning. Is he really contributing? Yeah. And are they really better? They're paying him anyway. They're going to pay him anyway. Yeah. So should they pay him to go away or just let the suffering continue? Because his, his, he's having a much worse year than um, Pujols is having. He, oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's hitting just 127. With a uh, 225 OBP and a 238 slugging percentage, just yeah, absolutely putrid year for Cabrera. And let's see, he has 20, He's a couple 20, more years left on his deal, too. Yeah, 2022 and 2023. So, so he's got further to go, but I I don't know why they just don't cut the cord and and, and free up a spot there as well. I. I I'd be shocked if he serves out the rest of the season. 
Well, it's the same thing with Chris Davis from Baltimore. It's how does he still have a job? <laughs> you know, it's like I thought about it the other day. It's like, who would have thought that Albert Pujols would get released before Chris Davis? Like, yeah, I don't know. The Cabrera deal was the Cabrera deal is another one of those, you know, those long term deals that just doesn't work out. And there's been so many examples of why you don't give players 10, 12 year deals. And these two, you know, Pujols and Cabrera are just more reasons why you don't do it. Yeah, I'm pulling up. I've got an interesting uh, comparison here. Um, Cabrera is a couple years younger than Pujols, even. He's 39 and has had a bigger decline. And we talked the other day. We won't really get into it. But there's rumors that Pujols might even be older than what he is. And for yeah. just Google, for the listening audience, just Google that. It's a pretty wild story. Um, there was an executive uh, quoted from Miami when they tried to bring Pujols in in uh, twenty twelve. Uh, yeah, twenty twelve. Um, but yeah, but anyway, so Cabrera is a lot, a lot younger. Well, a couple years younger at least. And um, but what I really wanted to bring up here for contrast they've both made Cabrera and Pujols have both made in the neighborhood of 340 million okay but you got a guy named Nelson Cruz who I think every team would love to have you know absolutely we Red Sox fans I mean unless you're going to put Martinez in the outfield. I mean, there's just no way to do it for us. But you can't make that. You can, yeah, you can't make that happen. Most teams us. aren't aren't really handcuffed like we are in in that scenario. So any American League team can can accommodate a guy like Cruz and would probably be happy to have him. So the other two guys have made 340 million in that neighborhood. Nelson Cruz, who is Pujols' age, he'll be 41 in July. Has only made 124 million, so just over a third of what those guys made. Yeah, I know, but I'm just wondering: is there something to that? Like he has to grind it out. Like if he wants to get paid, let's see, he's getting 13 million this year. He got he got 12 million in 2020. That was obviously prorated, Um, right? And then he got 14 million 2019, 14 million in. Uh, 2018. So he's kind of grinding along like that, but he needs to he needs to stay productive if he's going to get that money. The other guys got their money right. a long time ago, and they were guaranteed that money. So exactly, I, I just think where 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 he's got to grind it out from year to year. Almost that's what keeps him going at 41, and and one of the exactly one of the better power hitters in the league, and. Another guy who made similar money, maybe just a little bit more than that, uh, David Ortiz had one, I maybe yes. even the best year of his career in 2016. So uh, I just think there's maybe some... the greatest contract in baseball history, David Ortiz. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was only ever like two, three, four years at a time, and they would extend him out before the season would end. So he was never really a free agent. He was always extended during the season, but, but yeah. And so, but he, that, that probably kept him going. So I think it just adds to being like a cautionary tale for teams to not give 
a 30 something year old a, a 10 year deal the cano one another one how how did that work out yes he failed Not for well. <laughs> steroids yeah i think he was 30 so it, it or maybe 31 so it didn't take him quite as far as uh pujols or um cabrera but yeah so so just yeah i, I go ahead I thought the Yankees were, were smart about that, but then they turned around and give Jacoby Ellsbury that deal. So it's, you know, <laughs> that they yeah. gave him. So, yeah, I don't know. He had a ton of red flags. His his would have went through his age 100%. 37 season, so not quite as far, but, but was far more injury prone than those two were. I mean, Cabrera and Pujols don't spend it. Well, Cabrera, I guess, in couple last couple of years gone on the DL, but he hadn't prior to that. And and Pujols, I don't think ever really does. So, um, yeah. No. Before we move on, uh, some potential landing spots for him. I mean, or do you think his or do you think his career is over? I personally think his career is over. I came. I mean, so I came up with teams. I don't think the no. I don't think he's going to go to any of these teams. Um, we could also talk about him maybe going back to St. Louis just to have a little, you know, farewell type thing, but obviously he's not going to play. So I don't think he's going to do that. My three teams that I came in, like I said, I don't think it's going to happen was Texas because David Dahl, you know, they could, you know, they, you could put two in with Dahl Baltimore. I mean, like I said, COVID sell tickets. It's not really happening right now. So maybe it wouldn't be this year. They would do it. And the team I said that might make the most sense realistically is the Cleveland Indians. They can't hit. So if you have him and Reyes maybe platoon a little bit, you know, give us a pool, some at bats, and maybe have a little bit of a spark, which you probably won't. That was the only other team, the three teams I thought of, and I thought Cleveland was the most likely, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to say. I think Tampa could potentially be a landing spot. Toronto would be interesting. I mean, you got a bunch of kids that are up and coming and maybe if you're bringing in pool holes, you're, you're also the biggest, the biggest attraction to bringing him in is his, is his leadership, you know? Cause I mean, he, he might be a God to some of these guys, you know, these guys were kids when he was in his prime. So so that that's one of the big things. I mean, he's going to come in on a major league minimum salary. That's what the 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 new team would have to pay him because he's still getting his you know his Angels yeah. contract. So um, so it, it's going to cost a team literally nothing to bring him in. But yeah. I just feel like it's tough to really identify a, a perfect fit. And it won't be St. Louis because he'd have to play first base, and Paul Goldschmidt's a gold exactly. glove first base, so that's not happening. And no, yeah, but I just thought it would be a feel good type thing if that's what he wanted. Maybe he could just you know ride it out for the rest of the year, but I don't see that either. Yeah, and then Tony Larusa has already come out and said he's not coming to Chicago. Um, yeah, and of course, I mean, your mean Mercedes is their everyday DH. He's a backup catcher who caught fire in the yeah. DH position. So very, very pleasant surprise and great for them. Yeah, absolutely. And he was a and top. With Abreu there, he's not playing first. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, the the thing that would have made it attractive for La Russa is he would have a strong ally at that point because the whole city of Chicago is is after La Russa yeah. right now. And I, I was rooting for that to work out, but it's just not. And um, so that, that would have been maybe a motivator for La Russa if, if they didn't have Mercedes in that spot. And I think yeah, a, a guy like, agree with that. a guy like Pujols could probably make an impact on a Tim Anderson type guy who can be, you know, he can be a little emotional and rambunctious yeah. at times. And so, yes, but that's not going to happen either. So, and you would think also the angels, if they thought another team was going to be really interested, they might've tried to trade him even for a super low level prospect, but none of that yes. happened. You know, he was still DFA'd. So, so there, there can't be a ton of uh, interest there for Pujols. So may, maybe, maybe he'll land somewhere, but we'll just have to see in the coming days and weeks. Yeah, I don't, I don't see it. And I, I struggled for a few minutes just to even think of those three teams. And I don't, like I said, I don't even think those three are realistic options. Those are just the best three that I could I could even come up with. And maybe in a non-COVID year, there might be a team like Tampa or Baltimore to attract more fans to come in and see pools for the last year of his career. But with COVID going on and, you know, full capacity not happening as of yet for most cities, I don't see it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on it and... If something develops, we'll uh, we'll discuss it on a future episode. Another kind of interesting uh, chain of events, I guess, that took place was the New York Mets, who probably fall within the dumpster fire category. Um, <laughs> fired new owner, same results. <laughs> yeah. We'll get into that in a second, but they did fire Chili Davis, their hitting coach, and then the assistant hitting coach, Tom Slater. Red Sox fans would know Davis uh, from his time as a hitting coach from uh, 2015 through 2017. Two of those years were were uh, first place in the, in the ALE, so an accomplished uh, hitting coach at that. But uh, before we do get into it, like... The, the Mets, to me, I mean, they have been a dumpster fire, but with new ownership, I, I kind of give them a pass. I did the same thing for the Marlins once Jeter took over and things are treading in the right direction. Um, with yeah. the Mets, they kind of got off to a wonky start because the ownership the, or the, the sale of the team didn't really get finalized until late last year. They brought in. Yes. I already forgot his name. The, the the other GM that was there just long enough to trade for Lindor, and then creepy pictures Mr. of Mr. Porter, Jared Porter. Yes, Jared Porter. that's who it was. Good memory. Um, <laughs> he ends up sending. In the past, actually, it all went down before Porter arrived in New York, but creepy pictures of him surfaced with a foreign reporter who was uncomfortable with the text messages that, that she received from Jared Porter. So, um, so he was fired after like three or four weeks. And so you got the, the sale that keeps laughing my microphone. I never do that. Um, you, you got the sale of the team. You got the, the GM getting fired. 
it's just a mess. And I don't think they really had enough time to assess the coaches and all that. They ended up keeping Luis Rojas as well. So um, initially when I heard of the firing, I thought, oh, well, that's such a Mets thing. But when you when you look at the the moving parts, it's like, okay, yeah, they didn't really have enough time to address that. But what what were your thoughts when, you know, as it went down? Um, I really wasn't too surprised. You know, when you're not hitting, usually the uh, the person that takes the fall is the hitting coach. Um, I thought it was a little soon, 23 games in. And my whole thing when I first thought of it was, well, I wonder if Lindor was hitting, would he, you know, still be their hitting coach? Um, I think that had a lot to do with it. You know, you just spent $340 million on Francisco Lindor and he was, you know, was abysmal for the first, you know, 20, 20 games. So obviously I just think Chili Davis was a scapegoat. I think it was early. I think it was too soon. Um, it's not a big, it's not a big enough sample size to fire him after 20 games or whatever it was. So, and I actually looked at some numbers because when he was with us, I actually was kind of surprised at how good our offenses were under him. Um, in 17, I remember we just, we just didn't hit a lot of home runs, but we were good at everything else that year. Um, so I feel like it's just a Mets thing. And I, I don't want to like always kick the Mets while they're down. But they're just such an easy target. They do things like this that, you know, it's all oh, there's the Mets again. And, you know, I just I don't I don't know. I thought it was too soon. And I'm sure Chili Davis will get another, you know, hitting coach job. He's he's not a bad hitting coach. And so with the talent on the Mets, I understand they're gonna say, Oh, we're not hitting. We gotta fire Chili. I don't know. I, I thought he was the scapegoat for that. I didn't think he should get fired right away. What do you think? Well, according to some articles that have been out there, the New York Post had uh, a really informative article with uh, some quotes from executives and, and stuff. Apparently, the downfall was the team was uh, trending just a little under 500, not out of it, and that division's wide open, so it, even yeah, the, last, the last place team is only three or four games out of it, but... They, you know, they weren't quite firing on all cylinders uh, offensively, and it was ironically the Red Sox series where the decisions got made. Even though he didn't get the two of them didn't get fired until four or five days later on Monday in St. Louis, May fourth, yeah, yeah, and the Red Sox series was Wednesday, Tuesday and Wednesday of the week before. And the Mets only scored one run in 18 innings. It was a two game set. Yeah. And uh, the first game, that was the Nick Pavetta game, two to one Red Sox. And then the next night, of course, with DeGrom on the mound, they don't score a single run. <laughs> and uh, the Red Sox, <laughs> Red Sox win that one, one to nothing. And the decision got made that night by Sandy Alderson and Zach Scott, who's who became their GM after Porter got fired. Um, so they they had to wait four or five days because they had to they hired from within. So they hired let's see Hugh Quattlebaum, who was their minor league director, and then Kevin Howard. I'm guessing is going to be there. 
uh, assistant hitting coach, and he was the head of player development. So they were within the, the organization anyway, and they had to get those spots filled. And then uh, Quattlebaum and Howard needed to get their families moved, get all that in place. So so Davis continued to be the hitting coach for a few days. But what also what also kind of got the ball rolling before that Mets series was Alderson and Zach Scott kind of sat in on, on a meeting that Davis was conducting with the players and they were talking about hitting and all that. And Alderson and Scott weren't really thrilled with the fact that Davis wasn't really getting into the mechanics of, of the players. He wasn't addressing that and he wasn't very analytical at all. And they just thought that they needed somebody with a, with a fresher mindset and a new approach. And that, that was the basis for their decision, whether we agree with it or not. So the analytics part, you're 100% right about. So if you think about Cohen, billionaire what is he billionaire for analyzing the stock market so that's going to be the mark that's going to be the mets um so the analytics thing once again it's that's the reason why i i hate analytics so much <laughs> i just do but i get it from an analytical standpoint I, I understand what you're saying but for me i just thought it was too early that team has too much talent not to hit all season 23 games they're gonna hit lindor was gonna hit whether davis was there or, or not so he got off to a rough start. It's a new city. He goes from Cleveland to New York City. You know, that's an adjustment. And new league, too. And like I said earlier, the league average of hitting this year, it's like in the 230s. Nobody's hitting. So I just thought 23 games, you're going to fire him for that. I just, I don't know. It's just a Mets move to me. And, you know, just a typical Met. We're going to, you know, our hitting coach is going to be the scapegoat. And if you're going to fire Chili Davis, Rojas is a horrible manager. So, I, I they'll, they'll wait till the end of the year to you know get rid of him, but I don't know. You could have made an argument you could fire the whole coaching staff there if you really wanted to. I just don't think Chili Davis was the only reason why the Mets weren't hitting. You know, <laughs> it's just an easy thing to do: fire the hitting coach. But you know, they're not going to trade the players, so they're going to fire the hitting coach. Yeah, and you know, I was going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, the status of Luis Rojas, we don't know Cohen yet. We don't really know the extent of his personality, how long of a leash people are going to have. Is he going to be the second coming of George Steinbrenner, where people are getting fired left and right? We we have no idea. But the It has that feel. It could, absolutely. And he was quoted as saying, well, the division is within reach and I'm not going to I'm not going to disagree with a move that my executives want to make, you know, if if the trends basically justify it, I, I'm paraphrasing there, but, but if you're yeah. Luis Rojas, you're feeling some pressure right now, aren't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And absolutely. He's not Cohen's guy. He's not Alderson's guy. He's not Zach Scott's guy. He's Brody Van Wagenen's guy. Yes. That's what I felt like too. They're trying to get rid of all the Brody's all the Brody people. And, uh, you know, it started with Chile, and Rojas will be next, if not in the next couple months. He'll, he's gone at the end of the season, 
they would have to go on a hell of a run. I mean, I could see if they do go on a hell of a run and win the division by five or six games, I, I could see that being a scenario to where he could come back. But uh, but as of right now, it's not looking good. Um, no, it's not looking good for him, no. Yeah. And so here's a question for you, and we, we didn't talk about this before the show, so you're kind of on the spot a little bit, but does anyone come okay. to mind as far as a replacement? For the Mets? I was thinking maybe Washington. Ron Washington? It's been a while since he's – yeah, it's been a while since he's managed, but he did a really good job in Texas. I don't think the Mets would hire him, but that was the first one that came to mind the other day when I was thinking about that, actually, was Ron Washington. And I don't know if that'd be a fit, but that if I was the Mets, you know, that's who I'd be calling. And I like I said, I know we had that little scandal in Texas and whatever, but I think he'd be a perfect choice, to be completely honest with you. I don't know how you feel about that. I'm, so I'd like to hear your thoughts. I don't know if he's a great fit, but like you, I'm a big fan. Like he's got, I love him. he's got kind of a like almost a Francona type effect on players. They just play for him. Yes, and exactly. He got to the World Series two years in a row. Um, I rooted for him both times. As did I. Yeah, and I didn't. Even though we've played the Cardinals twice, I don't really, I don't hate them as an organization. So it didn't hurt my feelings too bad. But. Um, but he was one strike away a couple of times in that second one in 2011, and they just exactly yes. Nelson Cruz botched the, uh, you know, the catch out there in in right field. But but yeah, I just I'm not sure if New York is a good thing. He's got a lot of off the field baggage, you know. Yes, yeah. The drugs and that was the thing with the baggage. The baggage was it was a problem. You know, if you're the Mets, that's a splashy, you know, <laughs> people know Ron Washington. And like you said, players love him. And yeah. I think that would make some sense. Again, I don't know if New York would be the, uh, would be a, not a great fit. I don't mean fit, but I don't know if him being in New York would be a great thing. But for him, I mean, because, you know, I don't want him to get in any more trouble than he's been in. But that would be a good team for him to manage. They're a good team. Like, they have talent. I picked them to win the NL East. I, you know, there's talent all over the field. Um my issue is with Cohen, is he going to be a fan or is he going to be the owner? Is he going to be like Jerry Jones? That, that's what I'm wondering with Cohen. You know, he's on Twitter tweeting about this and tweeting about that. I don't know. <laughs> so I have questions with Cohen. Um, I think at least he's willing to spend money. So that's good. Yeah. When it comes to the day to day, I really do kind of get the impression that Alderson and uh, Zach Scott are kind of running the ship. I, I think I hope so. I think they've got a lot of leash. But when the off season comes up and there's if Cohen has to have a guy, I could kind of see him doing the the owner override. Yes. Yeah. Before I get yes. into my candidate, I I will concede though that Washington I think would be might be an easier fit because I think he would go along with the analytical stuff that Alderson seems to like versus my right. candidate. But I like Buck Showalter and he's of the old guy mold and he's going to go in there and that that's going to be his clubhouse and they're going to shut. That'd be interesting. They're going to shut the bleep <laughs> up and Buck's going to run the yeah. team. 
Now, will he cooperate with the analytics? I mean, maybe he's super open to it. I don't know. But he's a smart baseball guy. He did get in trouble in a wild card game by not bringing in Zach Britton. Kind of left that bullet in the chamber and it bit him um, because he he wanted to bring him in with a lead. But um, so, but I don't, I mean, as a Red Sox fan, I always thought. He was a smart manager, especially when we had. I don't know how you felt about John Farrell, but I thought he was one of the worst. I hated managers. John Farrell. Yeah, oh, I hated John Farrell. I mean, the only reason he stayed as long as he did is he had cancer, and they felt bad. That about saved him. Was yeah, and they still could have really fired did. And him. I hate to say that. I hate to say that. It sounds terrible. I sound like a horrible human being, but it's just the truth. You know, like it would have been a bad look. He just got diagnosed with cancer. You can't fire him now. Yeah, absolutely, and. The Red Sox had problems with optics leading up to that. The Lester thing was still fresh, and uh, you know they yeah. they botched a bunch of things, and um, it got to be a mess under Farrell. Yeah, and Bobby Valentine was an idiot as well. But I think Valentine, if he wasn't running his mouth about players, I think his yeah. in-game managing was fine. Really, I I thought Bobby Valentine was a smart in-game manager compared to Farrell. Farrell could not manage a bullpen yeah, just, to save his life. The problem that the players all hated Valentine. Yeah, so that's what it I just mean. wasn't a popular move with the players. Yeah, and when they hired Valentine, it was part partly I was excited, but I I was under the impression for me that was either boom or bust. It was either going to go really really good or really really bad, and it went really really bad. So. It was one of those super (laughs) curious things. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I I was intrigued by the Valentine hiring, and but it blew up. It blew up in the second week when he when he made those comments about Euclid, and there was just no saving him at that point. But but after that, from an in-game perspective, I I thought Valentine was definitely smarter than Farrell. But oh, I agree. Yeah, and Farrell. In a way, I mean, he lost the clubhouse as well, you know, by the end of it. He was clashing with David Price, the whole manager John thing, if you remember that. Um, I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, so Farrell was was terrible. But um, so so seeing his dumbass moves every day and then watching a guy like Buck Showalter get so much more out of so much less of a team. I just yes. had a lot of respect yeah. for him, yeah. And he, he doesn't put up with any crap. I just I remember when the camera would hone in on him on the dugout, he, he kind of looks like a serial killer that just walked out <laughs> of a random house after whacking everyone inside of it. You know, like, he's just so intense. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny. That- I, I like Shaw Walter a lot. That'd be fun in New York. That'd be a, that'd be a blast with Shaw Walter in New York City. I th- Again. Even if it's just to finish out this year, I think they would have a good chance of of winning. Um, th- I agree. The team doesn't have a ton of uh, toxic personalities, I, I wouldn't say. So I, I don't think it would be no. too tough of a transition. But, yeah, and he's on MLB Network now. That's his new gig. He They just bring him in occasionally. And yeah. he sounds like Billy Bob Thornton in a way. <laughs> like, he does. <laughs> like, he does. He, he could totally do voiceovers for him, but – yeah, so it's just tough to tough to tell where it's going to go. But getting back to Rojas, an interesting development happened. Um, apparently, there was a bit of a brouhaha between Francisco Lindor and Jeff McNeil. 
and uh, details are sketchy as far as what may or may not have happened. But if you watch the, the replays of it, they're in the tunnel out of view, and you could see a couple of players. I know Mike uh, Conforto was one of them. Uh, Jonathan VR. Yeah, Dom Smith. And Dom, Dom Smith as well. Yeah, they kind of bolted into the tunnel area and um, kind of nonchalantly walked out as if almost nothing happened. So nothing serious, I'm sure, didn't happen. And they were both interviewed after the game, and neither one of them looked scuffed up. So it, it could have simply just been a heated verbal um, situation, but apparently, uh, the the lie that they went with was when Dora oh. thought he saw a New York City rat, and and yeah. and McNeil thought it was a coon, but then said during the post game press conference, "No, actually, I think it was a possum." And they they were being good soldiers for the organization by putting on that show and not saying yeah. what they thought happened. But it looked like what what really went down was there was a play on the field where they there was a shift because the lefty was up and and McNeil kind of interfered in a play that should have been Lindor's and the out didn't happen at first because the throw was late and maybe maybe they were getting into it about that but what were your thoughts i mean I, I thought the whole thing was hilarious after after the game you heard lindor i thought it was funny i think it's ridiculous that that was the best they could come up with it wasn't about a rat and a possum and a raccoon just stop you know but just come up with something better or what they should have did was yeah we got heated it's a you know it's a it's a team's game we all get heated with each other teammates that's what happened just own up to it. You know, you don't have to make a lie about that. It wasn't even a big deal. I just thought it was funny that you Conforto and Dom Smith were standing there. And then all of a sudden they booked it down to the dugout. And then everyone's causing the stir. Like I thought someone like had a heart attack or something. Like that was something serious. And after the game, oh, it was a raccoon. It was a possum. It was a, it was a rat. I've never seen a New York rat before. He says, <laughs> Oh my goodness. Like, again, I don't want to, Pick the Mets when they're down, but that's the Mets. Like, any, does that happen to any other team? Like, the Mets are just—it's just something about the Mets. I, I don't understand it. Again, I think it's hilarious because now they're making T-shirts about raccoons and rats now, and it's whatever. Lindor was—you know—you could tell Lindor wasn't bothered by it, but Jeff McNeil has that. I don't know. He didn't look like he was too thrilled with the press conference after that. You know, he played the good soldier, but he didn't look—he looked like he was still kind of steamed about it. Yeah, it's the Mets. I mean, <laughs> that's all I got. The Mets, because Lindor, you know, like we were saying he, earlier, he's he's a very likable guy. He's got got a very yeah. easygoing personality. So if you told me before that game started that two players were going to get into a verbal altercation, which two do you think it's going to be? I wouldn't have put Lindor in there. I just I would have never said Lindor. Yeah, on that team. No, he's got. His, he's always happy. He never looks yeah. upset. He's always happy. He's always laughing. How could you get upset with Lindor? And like, he he's got his money, so that's not yeah. looming over his head, you know. So no, yeah. So it's just a little interesting. There there was a similar situation with uh, this is going back. I don't know, eight or ten years. When Jake Peavy and AJ Prozinski were in Chicago, apparently they got into it. And I can't remember if it was within view or not, but they were both asked about it after the game. But unlike Lindor and McNeil, 
PV and Perzinski didn't have their story straight. So when they asked right. when they asked PV about it, no, they asked Perzinski about it. Perzinski said, "Well, we're both hunters, and we were talking about these exotic hunts, and we were disagreeing over <laughs> whichever one was more challenging." And so that was Perzinski's story. And then they go to PV after, and and PV goes. Oh, we're just we're college football fans. He goes, I'm an Alabama guy. He's a Florida State guy. We we were arguing about college football, <laughs> so it's absurd. Yeah, so they didn't have their story straight, but it was probably they were probably upset with each other about how the game was going. Maybe the maybe the sequences were off, and they just weren't in sync with how to approach certain batters and whatnot. And Przinsky's got a long history for being a very difficult. Uh, teammate and i think he was voted i was just about to say that amongst the players he was the most hated guy in the league one year so which is hilarious because he's a good broadcaster i mean he's worked for fox and i thought i think he's professional enough and likable on the broadcast but apparently the players hate him so uh yeah i was gonna say one other thing if you go back and look at when jeff mcneil's press conference he looked lost and didn't know what to say he was just going like I feel like what, when Lindor said, he goes, oh, yeah, I was, you know, I see, you know, it was a possum or I was mad because he said it was a raccoon or, or uh, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And you you feel like the Mets PR team could have came up with something better, too. Like, you know, all right, this is what happened. You're, the raccoon rat story. I've never heard something that ridiculous before. I'll be honest. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard something so ridiculous. Like, you know, who argues about a raccoon and a rat anyway? That That's, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's absurd. And actually, and then Luis Rojas was interviewed and he was asked about it. And he goes, he said, well, yeah. I, I don't know what it was about. He goes, by the time I got down in there, they said, no, no, we're just playing baseball. We're <laughs> and, just playing baseball, yeah. And then they came out. So, but that doesn't look good on Rojas that, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, Tom Foolery going on in his clubhouse. And, and it just kind of makes the team look, you know, out of sorts. I will say this though, they have won four straight uh, after yes. tonight. So, so maybe they'll go on that run. They're in second right now. I think they're uh, one or two games back of the Philadelphia Phillies, who I would never trust with a division lead. I know Joe Girardi's there. I got immense respect for him, but they are the Phillies until proven otherwise. So, we'll uh, we'll see what that goes, but. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm still surprised at the, how the Braves are playing, too. I, I'm just waiting for them to click. I know Sandoval had that home run tonight and, you know, descended to extras. I don't know. The Braves are a weird team. Um, I still think the Mets are the best team in the division. I picked the Mets to win the East um, before the season started. I'm not going to waver off that. I still think the Mets are going to win the division. It would just be a little bit easy. It would ease my mind if, you know, they would get their lies together, if they would stop acting <laughs> like children at the end of games and, stop being a dumpster fire that the Mets have been under the Wilpons and start a new era under Cohen and, and look competent. That's all I'm, I just thought that's what they'd be. I'd be like, well, they're going to be a competent organization right now. And since Cohen has bought the team, it hasn't really been that way. I'm waiting for it to happen. It, it's got to happen at some point, but yeah, I don't understand what's going on with the Mets. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, typically I, I usually like the Mets a lot on paper, but it's just, they just come unraveled every year. I mean, Mickey Calloway might've been one of the worst managers ever, you know, just hot tempered. Yeah. And apparently there were some other shenanigans going on. Um, but 
but yeah, they just they're they're also they're just a team where I'm just not going to trust them until you know they finally do roar into the month of October. You know what I mean? Um, yes, I agree. So I mean, in theory, I mean they should be pretty good. I mean, they, Strowman's pitching very well. Degrom also, I guess he had he was scratched from a start, but I think he's okay. Uh, they're going to get Syndergaard back before long, and yes. um, so I don't see why they they couldn't. And and I'm a few years older than you. Um, I was born in 1983, so I. I'm not old enough to be mad about 1986 and we have a common, <laughs> en- we have a common enemy, you know, within the Yankees. So, yeah. so I don't have any ill will towards the Mets. If they, if they get it together, more power to them. So I, I love walking around saying the Yankees are the second best team in New York. You know, it just rubs the, those guys the wrong way, but yeah. So yeah, I have no, yeah, I have no animosity towards the Mets either, and I know it came across the last couple minutes that I, I don't like the Mets. I, I have no issues with the Mets; they don't they don't affect me. But I just wish they would be competent, and at some point under Cohen, I feel like they will. But I guess it wasn't going to take it was going to take a little bit of time, and so hopefully they'll get it into uh, hopefully they'll get it together. Yeah. I still I have a hard time picking against Atlanta. I know I know. Things are pretty wonky. They lost their catcher, um, probably for the season with a torn thumb ligament. But yeah, well, all right. I I think we hit all the points this week. We went about double the time I uh, planned. <laughs> Trying to keep it a, short, a little bit short of a show, but we'll uh, we we'll rein that in over the the coming weeks. But. For the listening yeah, audience, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a I'm I'm a rambler myself, so. Um, for, for the listening audience, we will be back. It's a four-game set that began on a Friday, so that means a Monday night recording, and the show will be available late that night, early Tuesday morning for your commute uh, to discuss the Baltimore series, which has the Red Sox up two games to nothing. So all seems right with the world as far as that goes, but we'll be back, like I said, Monday night to cover it. Everyone have a good weekend. Take care.